Hi, everyone. We're starting with something different this week. Here are a few words from an episode previously recorded at the Chinook series back in February. Please open your ears. Where, where do I tell these stories? Where, who's making it safe for me to tell these stories? Who is, who, how, what do I even need to tell my story? To feel like, to get it out of my throat. Like what, what do I actually need um, at the root level to feel like I can do that? Um, because there is, there, there's degrees of privilege, right? Of the ease of that, of the ease of being able to take up space and say, this is about me. You need to listen to me. You're going to listen to me for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, like what? <laughs> just to, just to believe in that the idea. Um, it takes light years, like steps, therapy, you know what I mean? Like, and communal therapy, therapy that is about re-evaluating the systems that we live in and the values that we say we're upholding as a community. It can't be only my job to tell my story. People need to require it of me. People need to make space for me to tell my story. People need to say, actually, I haven't heard from you in a while. And, and, I'm, and I'm curious and I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not only the artist's job. So I think building a community of people and, and, and looking at alternative sources of healing, of, of building a new relationship with yourself, where you tell yourself that you're worthy, starts there. But I need a whole slew of systems to change before I feel super comfortable la-di-da being out here and saying I'm all these things because we're dying. We're dying. Right? Here in Edmonton, black trans queer people are being attacked here in Edmonton, are being doxxed. All their information, their address, their phone numbers are being put up online. And there are Nazis coming for them, hunting down my friends. And I know I said I'd be short, but I gotta be real rap raw with it. And this is what it is. So when we talk about telling your story, that's great and all, but we need to talk with the depths of it. And I need us to be transparent as hell about it because it's not just my job because it wasn't just my job. It wasn't only me that made it so hard for me to tell my story in the first place. The voice you heard there was Nasra, an artist, poet, and producer here in Edmonton. And that was part of a panel of artists speaking about performing personal stories. Nasra's words are so important to hear, but it is also crucially important that we follow the events of the past days with continued action. Systemic racism against Black people, against Indigenous people, is a horrible reality, and it is not spoken about enough, especially in white communities, especially white folks with a great deal of privilege and agency, like yours truly, have a responsibility to take action. Now is the time to read, listen, educate yourself, and act the hell up. The guests I'm talking to on the episode today do have some great resources and thoughts to share on topics of anti-Black racism, on supporting Black and marginalized artists, and as business owners and figures in Edmonton's creative community, they really do walk their talk. We will share a number of resources during this episode and in our show notes, so please visit idontgetityeg.com to follow up on any of the resources mentioned. And with that, on with the show. Thank you. 
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to I Don't Get It. We are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. My name is Fonda, and this is usually a podcast about performances in Edmonton, but as we all are very, very aware, there's a pandemic happening, and there are no in-person performances (laughs) happening anywhere. So now that we've all had this time to settle into the no-person gathering world, and things are slowly starting to um, reopen in physical spaces at least, um, in the city, everyone has been a little bit abuzz, especially in the literary community, when news that a new indie bookstore called Glass Bookshop was rumbling around on social media. First, there was a Kickstarter campaign, then some pop-up events, then even a long-term pop-up in City Center Mall, uh, which of course closed with all the other malls um, during the pandemic. Now, the co-owners and founders of Glass Bookshop touted that the shop would focus on Canadian writing with special attention paid to LGBTQ writers, Black, Indigenous, and writers of color, as well as independent publishers who help produce that work. And as someone working with publishers and writers each year for LitFest, I have to attest that they have not disappointed on that mission. In this interview, we cover what they wanted to achieve in opening a bookstore and what it means to hold space when physical space is not only at a premium, but an actual risk to people's health, and what you should be reading and doing to support Black artists now. So, everyone, please give it up for the founders of Glass Bookshop. They are articulate, they advocate for marginalized writers, and they are writers and artists themselves too. And they also have a hell of a good Instagram game. Here's our chat with Matthew Stepanek and Jason Purcell. Hello, Jason and Matthew. Hello, Fonda. Thank you so much for having us. Hello, Fonda. Happy to be here and excited to chat with you. You two are the proud owners of uh, one of Edmonton's newest bookstores, Glass Bookshop, um, and it is, uh, at least for now, running in virtual space uh, and as a delivery <laughs> as a delivery service. So um, maybe let's start by uh, going way, way back to how the idea for Glass Bookshop started. So it started, um, I guess, March two, 2018? Um, yeah, March of 2018. And Matthew and I were, were sitting in District Cafe. And I was just nearing the end of my master's degree. And Matthew had just gone freelance. And we were talking about ways that we could make, um, make a life for ourselves in literature. And for me, I didn't want that to look necessarily like another degree. I didn't want it to look like academia. And, um, and I don't think Matthew wanted it to look the way his professional life had looked before. Um, and we wanted to find a way to do all the things that we were committed to doing already. Anyway, um, I had worked at the Canadian Literature Center at the University of Alberta doing event organizing and um, a lot of liaising with writers from across, across the country as well as local ones and, and working um, with great literary festivals like Lit Fest uh, or Edmonton Poetry Festival. And, and I knew this was the work that I wanted to continue to do. Um, and Matthew felt the same way because of his work with, with Glass Buffalo and, and the Edmonton Poetry Festival. Um, but I knew that in my role at the CLC, there was just nowhere else to go. I had kind of reached um, the limit. And that's kind of when it occurred to me that what Edmonton might be able to use would be another sort of literary gathering space because what I had kind of come up against at the CLC was that um, 
there there were so few um, venues that were um, accessible in terms of um, what, the ways that bodies could access the space, um, also the ways in which um, organizations or individuals could access the space monetarily. Often they come with with some sort of rental fee that is sometimes okay, and and sometimes folks can't make that work, and and we. We came, kind of came to the agreement that, that Edmonton could use something like that, and, and why couldn't we use the knowledge and experience that we've gained in our respective um, professional careers um, to, to kind of make that happen? And we knew, of course, that there would be uh, an element to it that would incorporate our love of books, and, and owning a bookshop was a dream that we'd shared. Um, I... I working in a bookstore was like one of, one of my first jobs. And I worked at a big box chapters for um, six or seven years throughout high school and, and university. And so it was a world that I kind of had experienced, but um, never at the independent level. And, and it just seemed like this kind of uh, convergence of different passions and different um, investments in terms of um, our literary politics and our literary ethics. It just seemed like a kind of perfect storm and perfect timing for both of us to kind of undertake undertake something like that. And Matthew, how about you? Where were you, where were you at in your career in life? And and how did you know each other to even to even go back to that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, I think the the number always changes every time I say it, but I think Jason and I have been friends for at least six years now. Um, and we had met at a, um, magazine event, um, that was put on, I think, is it Mod Mag, Jason, that it was, Anna McGregor yeah. was working with? It was Mod Mag. So that puts us about eight years ago. Oh, eight years ago. Oh, wow. We're old now. Um, hopefully we don't have to mention our ages on this show, but yeah. So met at that event and like, obviously, um, had a lot of mutual interests in literature, books, and, you know, like kept bumping into each other at Canadian um, Literature Center events and, you know, other festival events around town. So easy to form a friendship over that. And uh, yeah, like I think Jason kind of mentioned in his answer, but like, you know, I was uh, a freelance writer looking to kind of be more involved in the community and do, you know, pretty much everything that Jason said in terms of, you know, organizing more events, being more of a space for what we knew that, you know, the Edmonton community needed. So, um, yeah, it just sort of made sense at the time to start this project together. And um, it's been wild because I think it's been about just over two years. Oh, my God, I can't do math anymore of like how long we've been working on this in terms of, you know, we started by uh, just partnering with some local organizations like the Canadian Literature Centre and Writers Guild of Alberta and, you know, just bringing in books for their events. And we saw some great support at the start from them. Um, and then, you know, we were selling at markets like the 124 Street Market. And then um, September of last year, um, you know, we announced our um, actual pop-up retail location at Edmonton City Centre that opened on October 1st. So um, we've been taking it out through all these different phases, like, you know, where it just, it started at pop-up events and, you know, um, bringing writers in from across Canada, like uh, through Coach House Books um, or House of Anansi. Um, and now 
Yeah. You you've so you've had a, a couple of years sort of like with the idea and and a, a number of sort of like different ways that the bookshop has popped up or come about. Um and wanted to ask a little bit about what the situation or or what your experience in Edmonton has been like in terms of that trying to find space um and the difference between existing as a physical space and as um and 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 as how you exist now as well. Sure. Um, I think something that has helped us to um, continue to develop, despite the what could be seen as a series of setbacks in our first like year or so of operation, um, is that Matthew and I, even though we really um, are thinking about what Glass Bookshop can be in terms of a gathering space and in terms of a space for for Edmonton's writers and readers uh, and publishers um, to to gather and a place where where marginalized writers can can see the kind of placement that maybe they aren't seeing in other bookstores certainly not chain bookstores certainly not um, online retailers that are kind of dictated by um, algorithms so while we are always going forward thinking about it being a physical space um, I think more than that we think of glass bookshop as an idea as like a set of principles as a set of ethics, a set of missions that um, kind of ground us in a way that doesn't necessitate a physical space always. Um, so even though we don't have a physical space right now, we are still doing all of the things that we're committed to doing in terms of uplifting uh, marginalized writers and publishers and making sure that we're getting these books out to um, to Edmonton's community of readers. Um so, so that's something that I think has really helped us, but it hasn't always been easy to find a space as you're kind of gesturing towards. So um, what I would say about the difficulty in finding the space initially was that um, we were really committed to being downtown, uh, particularly in the quarters, which we see as being an already very vibrant um, community, especially a vibrant arts community. And this is kind of the neighborhood we wanted to to, to be part of. And we were looking at places that were just kind of prohibitively expensive. And um, we were finding difficulty getting any kind of startup funding from um, from a bank or, or anything like that. And so it really, the financial kind of um, impediments that we were facing also resulted in us kind of slowing things down and, and really incrementally building Glass Bookshop. Um, so starting with um, these small one-off partnerships uh, and then moving to the markets where we were a little bit more routinely visible and then um, eventually doing the, the pop-up in City Center Mall with, with LitFest that first month and then continuing on through the winter. Um, these were all like little steps that we did because of the, uh, the sort of financial realities that we were, we were faced with. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to say on the note of space um, that we've been really fortunate, like, you know, before we even had a physical space, when we had a physical space, um, you know, there's a lot of incredible community partners that we've been lucky to work with, um, such as Latitude 53, that, you know, we could knew we could always reach out to, uh, to host events for, you know, um, art-related talks or books on that theme, or, you know, we... We did um, Billy Ray Belcourt's launch of Indian coping mechanisms with them. And, you know, there's a bunch of other great businesses that are, you know, big supports in terms of like, you know, Almanac, um, where, you know, you can um, rent their space. 
um, for free. And they just kind of like, you know, want you to bring people into their space, hopefully buy some food and some drinks. Um, and they're kind of, you know, willing to, to partner in that way. So I think Edmonton has this really incredible business community that we've been fortunate to um, make connections with and, you know, find places to host our events before, you know, we even had a space for ourselves. So um, that's one really great thing about Edmonton is that um, people are willing to form partnerships with you. Yeah, it's interesting, even just as someone who's, you know, seeking space for events uh, in, in the before times and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, there, there, there is a great deal of community in Edmonton that really gets it. And that is um, fantastic for venue rentals and and for, you know, um, intimate or even or for large events, too. But it when you you know, you mentioned the quarters there. And it's so interesting, because I, re- I as a, you know, lifelong Edmontonian, pretty much, um, I remember them starting to talk about the quarters when I was graduating from high school. And that was, um, you know, not to reveal anyone's age here, but <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Um, and and the quarters still seems, you know, there's areas of Edmonton and and spaces that are so underdeveloped and underused. Um, and it just it just, you know frustrates me as someone who's kind of been in it for a long time. Um, but continuing on this idea, I guess, of space a little bit, and now how um, in these pandemic, uh, the pandemic times, um, the idea of space has sort of gone away. We're now trying to figure out how to do things um, without physical space. So so what happened to Glass Bookshop back in March uh, <laughs> when you guys were, you guys were still um, in city? center at the beginning of March or, or when did that, when did that change? Yeah, we were, um, at city center, I think until I believe March 17th was the day that we decided to, um, like close our doors to the viewing public. Um, which sounds like a really weird way to put that. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so we had a lease, um, with Edmonton city center up until the end of March. Um, and we had always, you know, sort of planned to renew it until our, uh, permanent, uh, space at Stovall block is ready. Um, and yeah, and it was just, you know, those, those sort of two weeks between, um, you know, seeing the pandemic starting and seeing like kind of what would be the responsible action to take in terms of, you know, um, you know, making sure that we're keeping our community safe and healthy and, you know, not, you know, being a space where potentially people, you know, could spread COVID. Um, so, you know, Jason and I had some, you know, conversations about, you know, what are the next two weeks going to look like? Are we going to renew our lease and stay here if, you know, businesses have to close down or, um, you know, what's the most responsible thing to do? And so before, you know, the government mandated that every business closed down, Jason and I had decided that, you know, the most responsible decision, you know, was to close our doors and just switch to delivery only because, uh, the Friday before, um, we closed, we had mentioned that we were offering free delivery in Edmonton, Sherwood Park and St. Albert, and people have really been supporting that since the beginning. Uh, so we definitely felt like we could make it work. Um, and then, yeah, kind of at the end of March, sort of, you know, starting from like however many days, like the 29th or something, like, you know, just started kind of packing up our stuff and um, getting it ready to move out. And we're um, currently in a space in uh, Mercer Market, 
uh, which is uh, owned by the Popes, um, who also uh, own the Stoffel Block, where we'll move to later. And so they've given us a little uh, bay down there where we've got shelves and tables set up with all of our books um, that, you know, we're, you know, sort of a little bit more of like a warehouse now where, you know, delivery orders come in online and that's uh, where we prep things and pack them up and get them ready to go out and delivered. So we're not open for the public, but like we've been there. Uh, I guess it's been two months now and it's, it's been a, it's been a good space. Like, you know, what like you have to figure out new ways of kind of working in tighter spaces, but it's been good to not have that, you know, huge rent bottom line that we would have had at city center when, you know, no one's walking around there anyways in the way they were before. Well, how has the pandemic affected business? I guess, you know, on, on any kind of financial fronts, have you been able to access um, any of the helps that are out there for small businesses, even like, you know, with the space situation as it is? Unfortunately, a lot of the helps or like the assistance and funding that's kind of coming from the government that we've been able to find um, requires like businesses to be open longer than we were. Uh, we've only been, you know, kind of officially like glass bookshop uh, since September and had like an, a retail space since October. Um, and so most of these places are, you know, looking for, you know, being around for at least two years or um, if, you know, you want to kind of access payroll funding, um, you know, you had to have like had employees on the payroll last year, um, which we didn't. And so um, it's kind of just like we haven't been around long enough to access anything. And but we've still been kind of fortunate that, you know, I can't remember the numbers because they've switched a couple of times. But, you know, to access some of this money, too, you had to see a certain decrease um, in, you know, your profits and revenue. And we fortunately haven't seen that yet. So I guess That's it's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a blessing that we haven't needed to access that money, even though we couldn't anyways. So it's 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 been weird. But yeah, like it's it's been incredible to see the kind of, uh, you know, support from the community and, you know, just how many orders we've been dealing with, especially at the start and whenever we try to kind of create a little promotion or excitement. So, um yeah, no, we've we've definitely been keeping busy despite not having a physical space that people can browse. Well, I think I would I would also just say that it, it it's because it kind of goes without saying, but it's because of the incredible like sense of of support, um, or or maybe not sense of support, but the incredible ways in which the community of readers and and writers and artists and just engaged cultural folks in Edmonton, like really do rally around um, what makes Edmonton special. And, and we started off, like we really started off with a big ask. We, we started off with a crowdfunding campaign and we saw tremendous support there. And, and that support like has just continued and it's really snowballed. And I think there's like not a day that goes by where Matthew and I aren't cognizant and grateful for that support because we know we couldn't um be here without without the folks who support us in the first place or have joined us along the way or are placing these orders so that we can stay afloat um especially thinking of, of what matthew said like we're not eligible for a lot of types of funding and that goes uh even beyond what's happening in this particular moment with covid i mean not to say too too much but um even trying to find find funding to start start off in the first place was more difficult than we'd anticipated. Um, and, and yet we were able to kind of soldier on because we had so many people behind us. And 
And so, yeah, I think it's just with immense gratitude for for being in the city that we are in. Um, I don't think we could do this in any other city, and we wouldn't we wouldn't want to. Um, but it's just like there's something about Edmonton that is so um, so supportive. It's it's really quite remarkable. That's that's so wonderful to hear, um, because so much of the news around small business and I mean even the book industry, um, there it's been it's been a lot of doom and gloom. People are really having a hard time in a lot of ways. Um, but so, well, what are you what are you finding that people are buying? What are people reading right now? Well, that really really varies um, because when we went um, into the direction of, of online orders and local delivery we kind of opened up our stock in a way that we hadn't really before um, before this all happened we didn't have a web store folks weren't really able to place individualized orders in the way that they are now like folks were able to come see us in store and see kind of what we'd curated because that was part of our initial mission was to was to curate a kind of uh, a book selection that maybe is is less common like you wouldn't see elsewhere um but now we have made it so folks can order absolutely anything that they want um within reason um and and we bring it in for them and and there are some distributors who are no longer shipping or or have put conditions on the orders that we're able to place and so that has limited things a little bit but by and large uh people have a lot of freedom now with with what we bring in for them and um, that's pretty amazing because we're seeing we're seeing all types of kind of reading habits and reading lives come through uh, Glass Bookshop. Um, so it's it's really hard to to even pinpoint uh, a kind of of trend, or at least for me. I mean, I know things like the Glass Hotel, the new Emily St. John Mandel novel, or or the new Hilary Mantel novel. Like when these new big books come out, tons of people are are of course buying them, but. Um, we're getting so many individual orders that are are really unique. Yeah, it seemed like at the beginning of this of the pandemic, everyone went back to reading uh, Station Eleven, which is also by Emily St. John Mandel, and she ended up being kind of like getting getting a really good shake in the news right off the top of this um, this whole time because uh, the Glass Hotel had just come out, so she's kind of got like this success with um, like her older book as well now, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, there were definitely a lot of like pandemic reads uh Mm -hmm. especially like you know some penguin classics um on on like on the plague uh you know also like severance um who the author is escaping me now which is bad because i'm reading it now but it's a pretty pink book um and uh yeah like all these different books on the apocalypse like everyone just really felt like reading it in the first couple weeks so um we kept those around for them and i guess they're still pretty popular but i mean um jason does a really incredible job on our social media uh particularly like glass bookshops instagram and so usually whenever he posts a beautiful picture of kind of what's just landed in the shop or a new release or something um, we tend to sell a lot of copies of that and like particularly people are really still interested in local fiction so um, Alexis Keeneland's Mad Cow has been like a super big seller for us. Uh, same thing with Vivek Shreya's The Subtweet. Um, those are probably like the t- two biggest like fiction titles that we've had. And like we've had to do a couple reorders already for both of those books. So, you know, there was, we just couldn't have expected 
um, you know, uh, you know, without an event, because normally those things would, you know, launch in a space and you'd have like 40 to 70 people show up and buy books there. You know, we weren't expecting to still do a whole bunch of online sales for that without those authors being present. Um, but I think we've sold, you know, probably more than we normally would have even with an event. So it's kind of been great that people are still, you know, following along and, you know, had been waiting for these books for a while and still, um, you know, went to buy them despite uh, not kind of having a, the opportunity to get it signed or have the author here at the same time. That's really that's really incredible, and I'm really glad to hear that. In particular for Alexis, because Alexis Keenlin is um, she's a local writer. Um, it's her first, it's her debut novel, um, and because of the whole pandemic and everything like that, she wasn't able to actually even have her launch event. Um, so, so that is that is really that's really great. That's good to hear. Um, I know you two are really well read um, and you know a lot, a lot of books out there. I'm wondering if you have some recommendations um, by black authors or about anti-racism um, that you might that you might know of and have in the shop or just point people towards. And we will um, we'll get all of those in the show notes. One of the things that I guess like I'll, I'll lead with is we've seen such an incredible uh, demand for books on anti-racism like um, I think ever since, you know, um, events, um, you know, really reached their peak last week, um, every day I'm ordering in more and more books. I'm like from like some incredible black authors. So it's, um, kind of sad right now that we're out of stock of a lot of the great titles that we, um, can share today. Um, but you know, a lot of publishers like, um, Penguin Random House, and uh, Hashit Book Group are like working as hard as they can to, you know, um, you know, print more and fill all these back orders and start shipping off. Because I'm sure there's like thousands of copies of these books um, headed out to bookstores to, to fill orders. And like we have seen, yeah, like an, an incredible number of orders come in for them. And um, I kind of want to start to because I know, uh, you know, it's also really important, you know, not just to educate um, ourselves on, you know, uh, issues of racism in Canada and the States, um, but to also, you know, just support Black artists and, you know, really um, appreciate, like, you know, some of the incredible writing and work um, that they've been producing forever. Um, and I'll biasly start with one of, like, my top picks um, by Nazra. Uh, they're a local poet in Edmonton, uh, and they published a chat book um, with Glass Buffalo. So there's a bit of a, a bias there because um, I worked on it with them, uh, but it's called The God Dance in Human Cloth. Um, and they've just been an incredible community advocate and like spoken word poet. And, you know, they were the um, Youth Poet Laureate a couple years ago for Edmonton. And they're just... Um, they embody this like incredible grace and power when they speak and like their poetry, um, you know, they're just sort of exploring um, their gender identity, their race, kind of their relationship um, with their parents, um, all in these like beautiful, beautiful poems. And it was just, it won the BP nickel chapbook award alongside Jessica John's how not to spill. Um, and yeah, it just, I think more and more people should uh, read their poetry because it's just, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and another uh, local author 
um, who's um, also amazing. Um, I just feel like that goes without saying, but here I am. Uh, Titi Lope Shinuga um, has her book, This Is How We Disappear, uh, through Right Bloody North. Um, another incredible collection. Um, you know, she's looking more into the idea of um, how women disappear and how black women in particular disappear and how that seems to be an acceptable thing in society and that there's not more of a call to arms or call to action. I think uh, adding another wonderful poet to this list is uh, Dion Brand, who of course is not just a poet, but is also a novelist and also an essayist and a critic. Um, And uh, I hesitate to choose one book to, um, to recommend because Everything that she does is just so remarkable. The way that she depicts Black life and the diasporic life in in Toronto specifically, um, in a way that opens out into the rest of of Canada and indeed North America, is really, really, um, oh, it's just so brilliantly done. Um, But she did do, here in Edmonton last year, uh, the CLC Kreisel lecture uh, called an autobiography of the autobiography of reading, or maybe the autobiography of an autobiography of reading. It's hard to say. There's no way to know. Um, Either way, those words are in the title. Um, But anyway, what she does is she performs a kind of close reading on canonical literature that exposes the ways in which Black life have been rendered in literature for centuries, um, and then brings it forward to her as a Black reader and a Black thinker and a Black intellectual and how that comes to bear on her life and her own writing. It's absolutely stunning. And that's out through the University of Alberta Press and the Canadian Literature Center. So it's also something that's, that's locally published. Um, but then I also want to point toward Christina Sharp, who wrote In the Wake, which is a little bit more academic, but it's rendered in, in really accessible and beautiful prose for those who maybe don't have or don't feel they have the academic um, credentials to to be reading such a text. I know some of these books can kind of be intimidating, but I really want to assure people that this one is not intimidating. You can you can get to it. But what she does is she talks a lot about what it's like to live in the wake of the Atlantic slave trade, um, and so she uses the word wake in every single um, possible definition. And throughout the book, she's she's kind of mining not only her life. Um, and her own history with loss, black death, the death of, of several of her family members that can be traced through to, um, to violence against black bodies in America and in Canada. Um, and so she's, she's weaving this really remarkable um, kind of tapestry that renders so plainly the ways in which we have not really moved on from uh, from where we were, we white people were during when we were kind of enacting slavery. Um, we a lot of these sort of systems are ongoing. They just look a little bit different. A lot of these violences are ongoing. They just look a little bit different. Um, and the effects that they have haven't really um, diminished all that much. So that's one that I also really recommend. Um, then there's Policing Black Lives by Robin Maynard. And that one looks at how it is, um, like the title suggests, how it is black lives are policed in very particular and violent ways, ways that white people are not policed, um, and also what it could look like 
to to um, to abolish this kind of policing and to make possible different ways for black life to thrive and for black bodies to be protected and made safe. Um, and so that's a really great one. If you're if you're hearing a lot about um, abolition and you're not sure what to make of it, you're not sure what that could look like, you're not sure what that means. Um, Robin Maynard's book, Placing Black Lives, is an excellent resource. Um, and then maybe I would finish off with a, a recent book called The Skin We're In, and that's Desmond Cole's book. And mm-hmm. um, that one's really remarkable as well because it 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 charts a year in in Toronto's history with um, with pr- police brutality against Black people and and Black death. Um, to show, again, how systemic this is and how it is indeed in Canada, you know, contrary to Rex Murphy's claims, you know, it's happening here. This is just one year of what that looks like. Um, And he really calls to account the white reader, the white citizen, the white liberal to, um, to stand up against, against this. So these are, these are some of the titles that I, I love, or the writers that um, I would really recommend. And as Matthew said, like, a lot of these have sold out for now, but we are getting restocked very, very soon in the next few weeks. So we can totally reserve copies for folks. I just want to touch on something that you mentioned a little while back and uh, that I think when you were talking about um, Christina Sharp uh, in that, um, you know, it's not that in particular wasn't an intimidating read, but some people can feel really intimidated by um, by even what they should select as a book or or how to get started um, mm-hmm. when it comes to educating themselves. What advice might you have for a reader that is that that does feel really intimidated um, and and doesn't even know where to start? Right. Um, well, there are some some definitely more introductory ones. Um, one of them is called "So You Want to Talk About Race," um, which I read as an audiobook, so I listened to it. Um, but it's great to have. Like, I wish that I had the book um, to to refer back to. But that's a really great primer, um, and it's it's written in a way that is. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit tonally of Indigenous Rights by Chelsea Vowell, which is a kind of primer on um, Indigenous life in Canada um, for a white audience. Um, and so there's a kind of, not, not, not humor, um, it's, not, it's not funny, it's not sarcastic, but um, there's an awareness of who the audience is, and the audience for that book is not black people, it's not people of color, it is a, it's for a white audience who does not, maybe doesn't know, maybe have, doesn't think of themselves as racist, or doesn't think of the society that we live in as racist. So, um, that's also a really great one. And then something else I would say, um, just generally is that this is an uncomfortable, um, it's an uncomfortable experience to be confronted with the fact that we do live in a white supremacist racist society. I think in Canada, especially we've been told that that isn't the case and that we live in what, what did they call it? Uh, cultural mosaic. Uh, was that what they told us in school? That's yeah. sort of the thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, that that uh, that everyone's treated equally and we all contribute equally and we're all valued equally. And um, I think it's becoming more and more impossible to look at the world and to see that. So it's going to be uncomfortable to do a lot of the unlearning and then the learning um, about what things are really like for a lot of people who aren't white, who aren't... Um, 
economically privileged who aren't, you know, whatever um, many of us, like we don't embody these lives, um, but those who do see the world, see Canada very, very differently. So it's going to be uncomfortable. What I would say, if you are a white listener and you are thinking like, oh God, I got to learn something about this is, is pick up what seems to work for you um, and then find white friends to talk about it with. Um, you know, if you have black friends, if you have friends of color, you don't need to go to them and be like, hey, check out what I learned. Um, or I'm reading this book. Uh, it said this thing. What do you think? Because um, right now I think their mind is on bigger things, right? More important things. Um, if you have white friends, talk to them about it and say, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. Or I didn't realize this. Um, I'm fe- I feel shocked that I didn't see this before. What does it mean? I think that's the place to have those types of conversations um, and to work through what is difficult, what is uncomfortable, what is intimidating, um, all of those affects that are going to be uh, brought up in you if you are doing the type of thinking and reading that we need to be doing right now. Um, That's the place for that. That's what I would say. Yeah. So I think uh, for anyone that might have heard my dog barking in the background earlier, I'd be really amiss if I didn't mention um, one of my favorite authors, Andre Alexis, um, who has two really incredible books. One of them, uh, 15 Dogs, which is also probably one of my favorite books ever. If anyone's ever seen me in the shop, that's usually the first one that I recommend. Uh, It's just about 15 dogs that are given human consciousness uh, from two Greek gods. And it's just an incredible look at, you know, um, what it means to be human. You know, like all these dogs, as they kind of have human intelligence, they discover and create their own language, poetry, try to understand concepts like love and God. And it's just, it's incredible. And like, really sad because lots of dogs die in it. So I will warn about that. And um, Andre Alexis also has uh, his newest novel, uh, Days by Moonlight, which just came out last year. Um, And I think it definitely also relates to the conversation around race in Canada, um, because it's basically two men uh, that go on a road trip across Southern Ontario. And it's a very surreal and sort of Southern Gothic type of book. And um, they just visit all of these strange small towns. Um, and there's one of, you know, particular interest um, because it's a town that's uh, filled with black people. And there used to be a bylaw in the town that none of the black people were allowed to speak during the day. And even though the town became more and more populated by black people, they never got rid of the bylaw. Um, and so there's just weird, strange thing that things that happen in these small towns that look at a lot of like racial issues in Canada and like have like a really intelligent commentary on, you know, how some of these things um, still exist and permeate our society. So um, I'd really recommend checking out all of his books, but particularly Days by Moonlight. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well Endowed Podcast. On their most recent episode, Emily Randell Watson talks with Troy Pavlek, Ilya Ushakov, and Jackie Pierce to find out how millennials in Edmonton approach civic engagement, from politics to activism to volunteering. Alberta Podcast Network also shared a playlist of archived member episodes this week that focus on discussions of anti-Black racism and the Black experience, including a number of episodes of the Well Endowed Podcast with Nasra, 
Rarica Now, Dr. Sophia Noble, and more from their back catalog. We'll share the link for that playlist in our show notes, and you can find out more about Edmonton Community Foundation and listen to all of their episodes at thewellendowedpodcast.com. With PodPower, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a PodPower shout-out to What's the Cheesemiss, a new podcast with an inside look on Pilipinex identity in the diaspora. Cheesemiss is the Tagalog word for gossip. Subscribe to hear weekly episodes about disappointing your parents, breaking it to your friends that you're not Italian, trying to figure out why you punched a car, and much, much more. What's the Cheesemith is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find your podcasts and on whatsthecheesemiths.transistor.fm. And Cheesemith is spelled T-S-I-S-M-I-S. And I will note that a recent episode of What the Cheesemiths uh, <laughs> featured Gina Puntel, who is a, a, a longtime member of Edmonton's theater community, stage manager, producer, all the good things. She was a host of the Sterlings last year, the last time that we all gathered for it. Um, and so and that was real cool. Um, speaking of the Sterlings, the nominations came out last week uh, and we will share the link to the full list as well. Front runners um, in a number of categories included Citadel's Cost of Living, As You Like It, and The Color Purple. Northern Light Theater came in with uh, a few nominations for Everybody Loves Robbie and Baroness Bianca's Blood Songs. Uh, Catalyst's Agents of Ungentlemanly Warfare was in there as well. Lots of for um, music and design. And Theater Network's Titus Buffonius uh, also uh, took up almost one entire acting category. <laughs> and there was one tiny little nod uh, for Best Production of a Play to every brilliant thing. So we will see um, how those all shake out. The awards will be announced in an online ceremony of some sort, uh, likely online, of course, uh, on June 29th. So in the show notes, we will share all of our links to Glass Bookshop where you can buy some books and also the great mail out that they had on a reading list and resources uh, earlier this week. We will also share um, a couple of playlists that APN did up earlier this week on um, some great Black voices and recent episodes that you should listen to. And also from APN's own member archive, um, uh, re-resurrecting some um, archived conversations that our members have had about um, um, racism and uh, the black experience as well. And of course, the Sterling's nominations, that full list. Thank you again to Matthew Stepanek and Jason Purcell for chatting with us this week and to Nasra for their words uh, from the panel back in February in the before times. So go watch some shows, everyone, from the safety of your home, at least for now still, while they're trying to figure out how to open theaters. Uh, And buy some books, educate yourself, support Black and Indigenous writers and artists of color. And if you can, send those artists a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. <laughs>